Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez has warned us that white supremacy and neo-Nazi movements are becoming a transnational threat. At United Christian Parish in Reston, Virginia, where I serve as one of the co-pastors, the pastor for Congregational Care and Development, the hard work of Reverend Alethea and Millie Lyons has provided an ongoing class that is dedicated to the issues of white supremacy. That class meets every Monday evening at 7 p.m. The current class is a study entitled Breaking the Silence. I was honored to be a facilitator for this class for the first two weeks in June. The Reverend Nathan Hill is one of my closest colleagues in Christian ministry. And Nathan serves as the senior pastor at University Christian Church in Hyattsville, Maryland. Nathan and I are both ordained clergy within the Christian Church capital area. Nathan and I sat down together and we simply talked about some of the congruences of race, racism, and our interests as well as our pursuits for a more just society in which we live. Our conversation was recorded as part of one of the resources for each of those two classes that I facilitated. And even though our recording was quite amateurish, Nathan and I both agreed that our recording would be offered as the first podcast that I would share with the church, whom both Nathan and I have served with our entirety. We've entitled this first podcast, Conversations in Color. We hope that you will enjoy listening to this two-part series that could not have been done without the creative genius of Kate Hoey, who is the Director of Communications at United Christian Parish. Said Grandpa, what's this picture here? It's all black and white. It ain't real clear, isn't you there? He said, yeah, I was 11. And times were tough back in 35. And that's me and Uncle Joe just trying to survive a cotton farm. And the Great Depression. If it looks like we were scared to death Like a couple of kids just trying to save each other You should have seen it in color So hello to those of you who are joining us for uh, our class uh, here at United Christian Parish, Breaking the Silence. And uh, I'm here with... Uh, my colleague and uh, and friend who uh, is going to have a bit more of an introduction but uh, at the very uh, beginning 
I, I want to say that uh, this is uh, not a, a high-tech production, but it is a production that I highly value uh, because uh, uh, Nathan Hill, who is the senior pastor here at United, uh, I'm sorry, University Christian Church in Hyattsville, Maryland, is uh, someone that uh, I have known for uh, a number of years now, and uh, we've uh, traveled together in his car from uh, this area to Lynchburg, That's Virginia, right. to do right. uh, workshops. Uh, but we've also uh, had the opportunity to uh, uh, gather with our families. And, uh, and so I'm not going to say any, any names. If Nathan chooses to, uh, to, to mention names, then, then he will, will do that. Uh, but uh, I want to be sensitive to that issue. But uh, to be able to sit uh, with Nathan uh, as we are still in this pandemic, uh, but we are hopefully looking uh, to be on the other side uh, of this pandemic of COVID-19, uh, the coronavirus, and to be able to sit next to Nathan this afternoon here at University Christian Church uh, in his uh, pastoral office and to do it uh, both um, fully uh, uh, with our vaccinations right. and uh, beginning, uh, so to speak, this uh, process again of being uh, physically uh, in our churches and uh, around those who are part of our congregations that we love. And so it's a joy to, uh, to be it with is. you. And uh, we uh, talked about a bit of a title for this uh, uh, conversation that we're having. And uh, uh, I, I don't know uh, if Nathan is fully in agreement yet, uh, and I'm not fully in agreement myself, but we're thinking of maybe uh, conversations in color. And uh, that has to do a bit with one of the songs that uh, we'll talk about in just a second. Uh, but uh, I'm, I grew up in North Carolina, a small uh, town called Rocky Mount, North Carolina. And Nathan, you grew up in where in? Anadarko, Oklahoma area. Yeah, Southwest Oklahoma. And so, country music area. So <laughs> that's what that's what we're getting at. Is that uh, uh, I I think I'm a bit more of a fan of country music than than my friend Nathan. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you just uh, heard the opening uh, for our gathering to, to today. Uh, you should have seen it in color by Jamie Johnson. And uh, I appreciate that song because uh, of the, the metaphor that uh, sometimes we only want to see things in, in black and white. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we want to view life with a certain rigidity. Uh, we want uh, a certain uh, way of defining things and unfortunately defining people. Mm -hmm. And uh, we miss the nuances. Uh, we miss those things that really bring life uh, into its greater fruition. And so that's the part of the reason why um, I am appreciative for Nathan joining me this afternoon, uh, because I hope that in our conversation that you are going to have uh, the, the, the privilege of kind of eavesdropping, that this might be of help for the work that you are doing in uh, this class, Breaking the Silence. Uh, this class that has the mission uh, to offer a safe place for those who of our brothers and sisters who are white uh, to be able to open your hearts and your minds to a new understanding uh, of your consciousness, uh, the participation 
of how uh, the continuation of racism uh, occurs. And so as you are engaged uh, in this class, uh, we want to do this with the greatest integrity that we can. And so I could not do this class uh, with you uh, alone. Uh, in order to do this work of anti-racism, uh, it has to be done together. And so I cannot think of uh, anyone better uh, to do this work with. And, uh, and if there was, uh, Nathan, I can't think of him right now or her. Uh, that's something that a friend of ours used to always say, uh, Reverend Dr. Chris, William Chris Hopgood, uh, who, who uh, I also do this in, in his memory yeah. because uh, yeah. mm -hmm. he was a great worker. Uh, that's who I was thinking this. of when you said yeah. there's no one else. Well, Chris would have been pretty good too, but <laughs> yeah, we miss him. Mm. So we're going to go into uh, uh, mm. kind of dive in a bit. And one of the things that I thought that we might begin with is uh, the, the Bible says that uh, a child shall lead them. And uh, a few days after the insurrection, January 6th, uh, those who are, are, are still willing to perpetuate uh, the, that the election uh, in November 2020 uh, was not a legitimate election, uh, and there was the uh, just the, the horrific event that took place in on, on our nation's capital. Uh, and then a few days afterwards, there was a child by the name of Amanda Gorman. And she inspired our hearts and uh, just offered a great light. Uh, she shared a poem that was entitled, The Hill We Climb. And uh, Nathan is going to read just a, a bit from that poem. And, and then uh, he had a wonderful just kind of reflection on that. And, and after he shares that with us, and, uh, and then we're going to kind of dive right in because the first question is about uh, our childhoods. Uh, uh, when then our childhoods, uh, what memorable story or event that helped to shape our character and our longing for both goodness inside of ourselves as well as in the world. Uh, being clergy, uh, there's a certain goodness that I think we both long have longed for, not just for ourselves, but for others. And so uh, I want to allow my friend Nathan sure. to do this. Just a, just a portion. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge a union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first, we must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Mm. Mm. I think about, uh, you know, I was thinking about country music, that song uh, that we heard to 
reminds me of my dad who passed away last year and was a big time country music fan. Yeah. yeah, you had some good conversations with him, Marcus, about. And he has some blog posts that are out in the internet that we forget about from time to time where he wrote about all these artists that he would see. And, you know, what my dad uh, always believed in was, was people, was the goodness, the dignity of people and seeing the best in people and always being willing to, um, you know, in, a, in an area of the world in Southwest Oklahoma that could be quite uh, dominated by conservative political views and rhetoric and things, but my dad would would not give up on people. And so even to think about um, uh, Miss Gorman's words as a call to action, it was always reminding us what's at stake. Mm-hmm. Can we put down you know, sometimes in the heat of the moment, we have our differences and our disagreements and our passions. Um, what's at stake? And can we, can we put aside some of those things to focus what's on stake for us, which is a place where people aren't harmed and people are in harmony, where people are loved, where our arms are outstretched to each other and not held back. So, and especially thinking of January 6th, uh, of the ugliness and the terror of that day. Um, um, I thought it was a prophetic call to, to, again, not be perfect. I appreciate she says we don't need to be perfect, um, but we can be better. You know, we can be better. Yeah. We can be better and, 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 and have, a, have a common community of care and respect for one another. How do we get there? How do we hold that in front of us at all times, even when our political system isn't working so well and we're not so happy with each other and, and we feel as divided as we are? Um, how do we stay focused yeah. what's before us yeah um, that that first kind of question for us in, in how uh, how something significant in our childhood managed to shape our understanding of, uh, of character and that longing for goodness and for me uh, growing up in in kind of a rural North Carolina, um, it was the sense of expectation mm. or really kind of the lack of it mm. Mm. Uh, because I remember there was a, a counselor in uh, fourth grade and uh, the counselor was would, would come to the classroom uh, you know, uh, whatever kind of time frame that the counselor, school counselors, guidance counselors were supposed to do so. And of course the counselor, uh, it was not this kind of individualized consultation or anything. It said, uh, I remember I remember the counselor, uh, uh, he had this beard and uh, kind of long hair and uh, he stood in front of the class and uh, as we were all seated at our desk and uh, he just kind of popcorn kind of style when it, through the class and just kind of asked, what do you want to uh, be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, you had just kind of uh, the, the familiar kinds of uh, professions. Uh, you know, someone said, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a, a doctor. You know, I, I want to uh, be a teacher and so forth. And and I was one of those students. I said, uh, I want to be a doctor. And the counselor stopped 
And in fourth grade, uh, Nathan, your kids are a lot younger than mine, so I'm trying to remember. How old are you in fourth grade? Uh, yeah, about nine, nine years old. Nine yeah. years old. And, and, uh, and the counselor said, uh, Marcus, we're going to come back to you because I want you to, I want you to, to think, be, be more realistic. And at the time, I was thinking, of course, medicine, doctor of medicine. But there was never another conversation mm. about what, what possibilities there were. Just the fact that I needed to be more realistic. Mm. Mm. And that was one of those early lessons that I thought, surely there's more goodness in, in a teacher, in a counselor, than what I had experienced. That when, when, when hope inside of you um, gets stepped on like that. Mm -hmm. So that was for me one of the earlier times that I felt like a dream uh, was, I was being told, make it smaller. Mm. And I think that that was one of those times when we talk about, because uh, Nathan and I, one of the, uh, one of the things that we share in, in our ministries is that uh, Nathan and I both uh, uh, continue to be a part of the reconciliation ministry of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, uh, where we uh, work as facilitators. And in doing that work, uh, we, we, we talk about uh, the manifestations of, of racism, uh, institutional racism, uh, individual racism, and cultural racism. And in this class that uh, we're, we're participating with you, uh, there is this, uh, this racial superiority that uh, manifests itself in all three of these. Uh, it, it manifests itself by wanting those who are in the dominant society and, and in uh, North America, the, uh, that d dominant society is, is white society. And so that the superiority of that dominant society, which means white superiority, uh, and, and, and at, at the expense of the, uh, the willingness to make victims of those who are uh, of not the dominant society. So in North America, uh, people of color, that people of color would see themselves as, as victims. And so when we think about what we do uh, when we encounter uh, these, these, these moments in our lives where someone has told us to dream smaller 
uh, when someone has told to make our ambitions less? Uh, and how do we deal with those obstacles in our journey? Um, Nathan, was there a time for you growing up in Oklahoma where you were told to make your dreams smaller or your ambitions less? Yeah, I mean, um, like many, I had, I had great teachers and challenging teachers, but school was kind of easy for me. It was kind of boring at times, um, uh, you know, and I, I would just breeze through and sometimes it was it was hard to stay on track in the little town I was in um, but yeah you know I, I think about um, I think about times with uh, well I grew up in a very affirming family I, I mentioned my father earlier and I think a lot about him when I think about my youth and I think uh, uh, some of the things that he did and he was very intentional in his faith and in his in his care for neighbors he was a he worked in the public schools. He was one of those counselors, but he. Uh, but he didn't tell anyone. I don't think he did. Say. No, in fact, I think his mo was to to fight like hell for any of his students. And so, to give you a little context, Anadarko, Oklahoma, is uh, probably about forty percent uh, Native American. There's a there's a whole community there, Kiowa, Comanche, Caddo, Delaware, uh, and, and others of of uh, Apache and other tribal headquarters within a certain radius of the town. So it's a very unusual environment to grow up in because there are many towns in Oklahoma that are 99% white. Um, but so growing up in that town, there were a lot of conflicting images and, and stories and you'd go to school with, with uh, Native American kids and have be good friends with them. And it was just, the culture was in ways interwoven to the life uh, of the school, school system, but there were still messages of of, of this dominant culture that we live, of this white culture where um, we would be encouraged to feel victimized uh, as a white kid or, um, yeah, feel entitled. I, it, it's such a strange. So, so, you know, like, for example, one of the things I think about with my dad uh, was as a counselor, he really paid attention specifically to kids who were struggling. He has a lot of, he had a lot of stories. He'd write about these stories about trying to encourage kids to be in school, to take advantage of opportunities, to get them extra testing or resources to help. And many days after, after a long day of school, he'd pick us up to head home. But before that, he would go by some houses of, of usually not always but poor kids C could be uh kids from a native american home they had a lot of systemic realities that they faced and I, of course i didn't understand all that i knew we were going into a part of town that wasn't so nice and i remember feeling uh embarrassed that my dad was doing this kind of thing i didn't understand you know, I, I, he was certainly planting seeds about what his faith looked like. But, yeah, he, uh, he would go up persistently knock on these doors and try to get the grandparents or the parents to sign a letter to allow the, this child to get more testing or more resources. And I would feel embarrassed and sometimes um, jealous. <laughs> jealous, like, you know, yeah, like, why don't, you know, why is my dad spending this time at some kid's house? And we could be going home and doing things together. Um, 
and not knowing that you know sort of a almost an idea of scarcity of like there there wasn't enough of my dad to go around yeah yeah. You know, but but the, and then to go to school, too, and here sometimes the Native American students in school would get extra supplies and things and resources to help them through, I think, the Johnson O'Malley program. And we'd hear those white students and, you know, one of them, too, that would kind of go like, why don't we get free stuff? You know, why aren't we getting our free this and that? And so there was this there is this story there. There was this sense that. um what things weren't fair and and that and it wasn't good that things weren't fair and 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 we deserve more we deserve more and so um in subtle ways like that that uh limited relationship in subtle ways i think that um that made us feel like us and them it reinforced these racial boundaries that we had and we grew up in um even though it was the furthest thing, you know, that later on as I got older and began to mature and understand well, my dad did what he did and he did it because of his passion and his faith, you know, those seeds planted in me and began to, to grow and to help lead me into ministry. But yeah, but at times I remember those feelings, those intense feelings of like, um, this isn't fair and, and how dare they get this and I don't get this or, or whatever. It's interesting how 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 early yeah you know yeah. you you kind of describe how that that could could take hold of of uh, a person if they didn't have some of the guidance mm-hmm. that you were talking about uh which is i think what we hear uh discussed in uh the realm of politics and and, and culture right mm-hmm. now uh when we hear uh white grievance yeah you know uh, uh, how 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 do those who want to do the work of anti-racism uh, 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 talk? And when I say this, I mean those who are white, because that's who this class is really intended to to kind of offer this ministry. How do those who are white who want to do the work of anti-racism? How do they address uh, uh, this this kind of theory? of uh, angry, angry, you know, uh, anger around uh, uh, this kind of white grievance that mm. it's not fair, that that uh, this kind of thing that was heard uh, uh, in in uh, uh, Virginia just uh, uh, a few years ago in in the marches, you know, that yeah. uh, this this the, the Jews won't won't replace, won't replace us. us. Or and we heard on on January sixth, uh, yeah. you know, I think. And we hear, you know, I, I just finished reading a book uh, by uh, Patricia Limerick about Frontier, where she critiques this myth of Frontier. And I, a lot of my, I'm, I'm in a doctor ministry study at coursework still, and uh, I'm focusing a lot about some of these myths of Frontier and things like that that shaped our history and how we told history. Um, and, and she talks about how uh, this victimhood actually goes way back. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Way back in American history, uh, when when uh, these uh, America these European immigrants would come over and come to St. Louis, trying to figure out how to make their money, they would hear of a gold claim way out in Colorado or way out in California, and it would take them back in those days three weeks to get there. You know, so you get word that oh, someone found gold, so everyone shows up. Well, they get there, and there's a huge crowd there. And there's no gold. There's no jobs. It's filthy. It's it's a mess. 
the ravaging the land, just there's overcrowding. And rather than going, you know what, maybe I made a mistake and I should have thought through this carefully and thought, oh, it's going to take me three weeks to get there. That gold's probably going to be gone by the time I get there. Mm-hmm. And kind of own up that, you know, everybody and their dog showed up out here of these, these American, you know, uh, rather than going, you know what, maybe I made a mistake and I should have thought this through yeah. a little more carefully. They go, the federal government messed us up. The federal government is, is the federal government's <laughs> fault or whatever. You know, and I was blown away by that because I think it is a deep-seated story that we know too well and i know too well i think it has i think it comes out in things we talk about like white fragility the defensiveness and originness i think about the videos i see on the internet about karen's and kevin's i i think that's i hear there's different there's different names for For, for the guy one but yeah Yeah. but 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 what i'll soften here in those reaction videos is is a white person and their anger their jealousness, their possessiveness, saying this belongs to me. They're almost they almost go this, I, I like this is my land or this is my sidewalk or this is my park or you can't be doing this or I'm you know there's this ownership a deep thing that that uh, that really has no basis in truth. If you're standing on a public sidewalk. No, you don't own that. You know like, uh, but but in the moment that doesn't make sense to them. You know and, and they're anger emotion or whatever and i think as a white person i think that's that's how we we have to deal with it and and i struggle with it too i still think i'm a learning process i've sometimes been able to push back let my defensiveness and that victimhood thing go set aside my emotion and just try to listen and be present deeply to hear the person i'm engaged in conversation with but i admit sometimes too uh, that defensiveness because I, there's there's a lot of stories embedded in, in that story that this is mine, this is ours, that somehow this all belongs to me or I deserve it, um, is deeply embedded in the stories that we tell about our country, about our government, about our systems, our way of life, and how we got here. And to have that poked and prodded, to have holes punched in that, is deeply, deeply unsettling. And, and it's one thing sometimes to read a book or watch a movie. Yeah. There's some distance there. But when someone says, you, um, what you said was racist, what you did was racist, what you did was oppressive, or, you know, or the story you're telling here isn't the whole story, a story that sometimes we define ourselves by. I, we get defensive. We get upset. We, we want to feel like we're the good guys. So that's even one of those stories deep down in there. So I think truth we have to figure out ways to hear the hear each other's truth. I don't disagree that some of the people upset on January 6th maybe had there were some people there who had some very legitimate reasons to be nervous or anxious or or uh, cynical about our government. I'm cynical about yeah. our government. I don't know that our election system is always perfect or always you know I I don't I have questions too, but but at some point we have to tell the real history we have to have a sense of we we know what happens in our government in our life and, and we have to be able to push that to, to some kind of truth um and sometimes we're not the victim sometimes we're not sometimes we're we're the victimizer you know sometimes the story from our family has been passed down is not a real story and there is more complexity to it 
And we need to face that truth. The truth, Jesus says, will set us free. And I, I think there's freedom in that. So, Nathan, yeah. uh, as a preacher, now you, you've gone to the Bible. Okay, yeah. So uh, how dare you do that? <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the, so the truth. Uh, one of the things at uh, United Christian Parish, when people enter the, uh, the, the building, just before they, they, they enter the sanctuary, uh, uh, there, there's uh, uh, a scripture that is, is just very present uh, uh, on, the, on, the, on the, the wall, one of the walls. It's, it's Micah 6 8. Mm -hmm. Uh, to uh, seek justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly before uh, before God. Uh, that's a part of that that goodness that that I learned or heard of. Uh, you know, every Sunday mm -hmm. growing up. But what what was uncomfortable was. Hearing that this is what we are supposed to pursue, but feeling as if it was uh, something that was uh, more uh, of uh, to be uh, uh, considered at the times that it was more convenient that perhaps that there were there were there were places and people that Micah 6 8 um, it was only uh, something that would resonate at those times when it was convenient uh, one of the challenges that I remember growing up was uh, the the fact that there were policies. I, I grew up uh, 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 during a, 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 what eight years of my my uh, uh, childhood, teen years, uh, during the, the administration of uh, Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. And while a lot of people praised that administration, one of the things that uh, people in, in 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 my community that we suffered from was uh, how a lot of the uh, the programs that were cut uh, programs that were were meant to help uh, with lunch programs and programs mm -hmm. that were meant to help mm -hmm. uh, uh, with 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 college expenses and so forth uh, the Pell grants that were that were reduced and so. Uh, those were were life changing events for for me that that I saw firsthand, and uh, it 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 kind of for me it it said that there were were people there were policies that uh, had the possibility of of, of misshaping uh, me but also perhaps misshaping others in regards to how to love uh, 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 mercy, to seek, to, 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 to seek justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly before God. And, and so again, 
those were those moments for me to where I, I felt like uh, the dreams that my parents may have had for me and the dreams that I may have had for myself, that they had to be reevaluated uh, because there were these forces that were at work in the world uh, that, that wanted to uh, uh, shape me into someone that, that they perceived me to be mm -hmm. versus who uh, I believe that I could be. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I wonder again about uh, the issue of race and racism. Uh, when I think about one of the books that I recall reading was uh, it was called uh, Jim Crow's Children mm. and it spoke about how even after the decision of uh, Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas, but how uh, the Supreme Court and how other judicial uh, systems across the country were working so diligently to undo that 1954 decision. And that was occurring uh, for the major part of, mm -hmm. of, of, of my education uh, in the school system. And so those were those, uh, those instances where I felt that there were forces that were at work uh, that wanted to, again, uh, misshape uh, the world that I was, I was envisioning for mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. uh, but for you growing up in Oklahoma, and and being around uh, the, the 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 Native American communities, and uh, uh, where did you see that you had to, so to speak, uh, swim against the current in order to not be misshaped uh, by yeah. some of those forces? And well, and I I think as I've I've learned is is uh, and painfully as, as I mentioned over and over again that that um, you know I I. You know, we're caught in this system of a culture of of these narratives of these stories of of this way of life, and it it does it misshapes us. It gets at us from an early age. You know, we talked about that, and you know, my I, I, like one of the things that I always talk about, or sometimes in the school system, it was a public school system where we were, and um, starting out maybe in kindergarten or first grade, I think the classes were more evenly mixed with it may, it may have been more native american students than white students in kindergarten first grade how did that feel to 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 be in so to speak the smaller uh, uh number uh as a as a white person as opposed to uh what you know made normally more so happen yeah. you know in, in settings and from what i remember it was, it was great it was fine we, we had so many friends i mean kindergartners first graders tend to tend to get along fairly well. We don't have a lot of drama, I, I remember. Uh, um, and, uh, but I do remember most of the staff were white, not all, but, but most, there were some Native American staff and a few other people of color. But yeah, it was, uh, from what I remember, we played well together, we had a good time, we, we enjoyed, there wasn't any sense of that. But, uh, but as you got older, you began, to, cliques began to form, you know, you, I think we still were pretty mixed up in the lunchroom and things like that, but there were times you began to recognize that different groups of kids would feel more comfortable than other groups of kids. Um, not always, but but it was it was a present. It was it was present, whether it was an intentional thing or it was part of these 
cultural tensions that were just working themselves out in us and the stories that we were hearing at home and the things. But by the time we got in high school, I was part of a majority group, the, the majority white students graduating in our, in our high school class. Some of that was because there was a, a there was a one of the last remaining boarding schools for Native Americans in in Anadarko. You can start like in middle school or something, yeah. and go live there. And some of our classmates did take that chance to go, and they had a more of a predominantly a, a, a Native American faculty and things like that. At least now, I, I'm not sure about then, but um, but but also it's because of uh, systemic issues of you know drugs, families, domestic violence, crime, things that some of my classmates would drop out or would begin to struggle, would have to go to an alternative school and things like that, that they just, and so uh, I, that, that, th- that has never like the irony of that, I don't know if the irony is, the, the tragedy of that, of just starting in a school system, it's incredibly diverse and by the time you're done, the system has weeded people out has yeah. yeah has not done a good service to them now my dad was one of those i think some of the teachers would fight against that and the school had some great scholars and great students and things like that but but I, it happened in the church too and so one of the ways that 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 is one of the moments in me is i remember uh in that town we went to the disciples of christ church there uh, for most of my time growing up and i would go to school and have all these classmates pretty diverse student body come to church and it's 99% white maybe there were a couple of folks who you know were a, a card carrying tribal member of this or that or something you know but but uh and I remember asking one of the elders one time you know why aren't we as a church uh reaching out to our neighbors you know to our neighbors in this, in this town to our Native American neighbors and others and the elders said well they have their churches and we have our churches and so I remember in that moment, and this is also the same church, one of our, our youth leaders would get up at, uh, on Sundays for children's sermon and say, what's the golden rule, kids? Love your neighbor as yourself, you know. And, and that was a moment of dissonance where I even said, you know, if that's what church is, I don't want to be a part of it. And I, I want to yeah. find something else. Uh, because even... So that's yeah. that sense of now you, you're yeah. thinking, right. whether it's, it's, it's subconsciously or consciously, uh, you're now swimming in a, or at least attempting to swim in a, in mm-hmm. a direction that is, the flow is, is somewhat against you. Yeah, because I think even I had friends, I had, I was a skateboarder, well, I still am a skateboarder, but friends. Yeah, I saw you on, on, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, on yeah. social media with that. <laughs> and I, I had so many friends that He didn't fall, with. by the way, but he got, he yeah. boarded a little bit quicker than yeah. he wanted to. <laughs> and yeah, I had skateboarding friends from, from, uh, all walks of life that we, so we had, so there was this disconnect that like, how could like, could be more, I don't know, integrated in my non-Christian life, like you know, my outside of the church. And then yeah. in church, we are monocultural, like, that doesn't make sense, especially when church we say, like you said, a Micah six eight. You know, every that every Sunday that youth person says, "What's the golden rule? Love your neighbor as yourself." Well, well, hello, hello. Yeah. Like there's there's that disconnect. Yeah, there's a disconnect. Uh, there there are so many many things, and and we we don't have as the time as as we would 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 want. Yeah. But uh, 
but even when you mentioned uh, the leaders in, in a disciples church, mm -hmm. when, when disciples pastors, when we say who the leaders of the church are, uh, we say the leaders are elders. Yeah. But even that word, you know, mm -hmm. is something that is very familiar in that culture that was so much a part of uh, Oklahoma mm. with, with the Native Americans. That I think their their leaders are referred to as, as elders, right? As elders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and so uh, we may talk a bit more about about that uh, in terms of cultural cultural racism. Uh, one of the things in 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 uh, uh, the the way that Nathan and I. Uh, have uh, have have been able to benefit uh, in, in regards to our understanding of, of anti-racism uh, was through the work of uh, Crossroads Anti-Racism, and uh, one of the founder uh, of that, Joseph Barnt, uh, he uh, often talked about uh, how. Uh, culture uh, is appropriated. Uh, and so we'll say a bit more about that in our, in our conversation in, in uh, our next class, uh, this, uh, the discussion. But I, I think that a part of recognizing the, the forces that are at work around us uh, in, in the world uh, that are opposing to Micah 6.8, that are opposing to love one's neighbor as oneself, that are opposed uh, to uh, encouraging each and every child, no matter who they are or where they come from, uh, that uh, 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 they can become president. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think that's one of the things that, uh, again, that we, we celebrated. Uh, with uh, the inauguration of, of the new administration uh, was that uh, Kamala Harris, uh, who was uh, not only a, a person uh, of, uh, of, of uh, uh, Asian uh, uh, heritage, uh, was South Asian uh, mm -hmm. heritage, uh, African-American heritage, uh, but someone who is also uh, of the gender of, of, of female. And, and, and so while we want to say to every child, this is something that can be accomplished, but that there are still these forces uh, that, uh, that have to be uh, reckoned with. Mm. And, and so when we talk about uh, uh, racism, uh, I mentioned Joseph Barnt just a bit earlier. What Joseph Barnt talked about is how racism, uh, how it comes at us, those, all of us, black, white, uh, Latino, Latina, uh, 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 Native American, uh, 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 and, and all of the others that we, 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 could, we could talk about, uh, that it comes at, to a, at us at, at hurricane force. That uh, we, we understand that racism uh, can hurt 
uh, those who are not part of the dominant group in a society. And so in North America uh, is people of color. That, that racism uh, hurts, that racism kills people of color. But that racism at an even greater uh, force is intent is to serve the dominant group, where again in North America we're talking about white people. That racism's purpose is to provide power and privilege to those who are white. But that an even greater force, and when we talk about these forces, we, we think of them exponentially. Uh, racism's power to hurt people of color we talk about it in terms of, of racism's power to the first to the first power. Racism's power uh, intent to give power and privilege to those who are white uh, as as uh, racism to the second power. And then racism at all cost. Racism's power to dehumanize all of us. Hurricane force, racism to the third power. Mm -hmm. And that's the power that Nathan and I uh, find ourselves uh, working, working to free people every day of our lives. Because that's the, the, the spiritual engagement that we want to help to restore that sense of humanity that all of these forces uh, want to strip away from us. And I think that that's the, the, the work of the church and that pathway that, that, that we've been striving to achieve. So our, our next class and uh, we look forward to your joining us uh, for the, the, the second part of uh, this conversation uh, in color.